Let me, uh, let me start this morning with some, some stinging comments, because we do that well in church, don't we? As a matter of fact, we've had a problem with this for, for 2,000 years. We can, we can sting each other, we can hurt each other, we can send a very confusing message to the world with our convictions, with our beliefs. So let me start, it's almost like a little warning here before I throw these out, because I'll lose a lot of you right away. So let me just throw some of these things out and then hopefully you'll catch up with where I'm going. Real Christians would not put their kids in public schools. Real Christian moms would not work. Real Christians not only don't celebrate Halloween, they don't buy Christmas trees either. Isn't it interesting how today we think we're standing, that's a Christmas tree is what it is. No, real Christians don't even buy those. We don't do Easter eggs either. Real Christians not only don't go to rated R movies, real Christians don't go to any movies. Real Christians, and the list goes on and on. The list goes on and on of the the different convictions, the different beliefs that we will have inside of this big group that, that we call the church. Every single one of those statements I just made, I have heard multiple times in my 20 years of ministry. Every one of those statements, I've had somebody approach me and say, this is where you've got to get to. This is where you've got to lead the church to. I actually had somebody say, as if, I don't know how they think I do this, I need to lead the state of Virginia in one of those comments. I mean, that, when we hold these statements, we hold them with all we are, and we expect every believer around us to come to those statements, to, to come to those beliefs. Now, I don't agree with any one of those statements. But you know what? Give me five minutes and I'll give you a biblical reason for every single one of those statements. Those statements don't just rise out of nowhere. Those statements, I can give you a biblical reason for every one of them. You say, well, now wait a minute. How can you say you don't agree with it and then turn around and say you can give me a biblical reason for it? Isn't that a little bit of a, a contradiction? No, it's not, and here's why. There is a difference between a biblical reason and a biblical command. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. That's my statement. I should put, quote, Randy Hahn. I think it's one of the smartest things I've ever said. I mean, I, I've, I, my elbows hurt. I got tennis elbow from patting myself on the back all week. I mean, folks, this is a huge statement to get a handle on, and it is what Romans 14 through 16 is going to be about. There is a difference between a biblical reason for why we do or why we don't do something and a biblical command. And man, do we need to get a hold of that difference. Because you see, when we don't get a hold of that difference, we hurt each other. We send a confusing message to the world about what the message of the church is to be. When we don't get a hold of that, we hurt We hurt the church. We hurt the gospel. So we need to get a hold of that. You know, folks, the church, and when I say church, I'm not just talking about little c, Colonial Heights Baptist. I'm talking about capital C, big church, all the believers everywhere. I mean, we are the most diverse group that's ever existed on the planet. I mean, we come into these buildings with all kinds of different backgrounds and ideas and convictions. We come in here with all different kinds of hurts and hang-ups. And Jesus expects us not only to gather and get along. Oh, he wants much more than that. He wants us to actually love each other. 
He, he wants us to actually care for one another. But as we come together, as we move closer and closer, we start to bump into each other, don't we? As a matter of fact, I, I, I think a lot in the church today would maybe look at what we're going to be looking at these next couple of weeks in Romans 14 to 16 and say, nah, I don't need that. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, we have been through this profound letter, this profound book of, of the New Testament, and we could get to chapter 14 and say, oh, that's, not, that's not that big of a deal. And the reason we might say that is because so many who are inside this group of the church are very, and when I say so many, maybe half, at least in America, half are so content to stay way out here on the edge. I don't... I don't want to bump into you. <laughs> I, I don't want to get too close. I don't want our elbows to touch. We're, we're very comfortable kind of staying out on the fringe. You know, I don't need to be committed. Don't need to be a member. Don't need to move into relationship. Don't need to move into smaller groups. Just going to kind of hang out here. The only problem with that, folks, is out on the fringe, you won't find or know or experience God's will for your life. Not just in church, anywhere. Because God's will for your life, God's will for my life, is that we become more engaged with each other. That we become more committed to each other. Never less. It is never God's will that you are less involved, less committed, less engaged with the body of Christ. That's never what He's doing in your life. But here's the problem. As you and I start out here as an unbeliever and then take a step to become a believer and then start moving closer in relationship with each other, we start bumping into each other. What We bump into each other's weird ideas. We bump into each other's weird convictions. We, we bump into each other's hurts and hang-ups. And when we start bumping, we get bruised and, and we hurt each other. It's not always a lot of fun. I mean, there's a reason a lot. Just I just want us to kind of stay out here on the edge. But God's called us to move closer to each other. So Romans chapters 14 through 16 are about how you and I become more engaged with each other without ruining the gospel in the process. How we become more engaged with each other without hurting each other. So turn there with me this morning and let's see what this is going to be about. Romans chapter 14. Today we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, I hope you'll grab one there in the chair in front of you and study along with us. Romans 14. I don't know the exact number, but we've had a little over 30 messages now to get through 13 chapters of Romans. And we've got five more. Five more. The finish line is out there in front of us. And today, verses 1 to 12, Romans 14. Starts there in verse 1. It says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Is it before his own master that he stands or falls? And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. 
Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now Romans 14, as we we start to talk, you and I have become believers. We've become children of God. We've come into this new relationship with God, which means now we're to come into this new relationship with each other. As chapters 14 through 16 begins to define how we do it, it starts by talking about a couple of issues in that day. We'll unwrap those issues a little bit more in a moment. But folks, there's always issues, isn't there? There's always issues in every church, in in every century, in every denomination. There is an issue, there's a doctrine that is being battled and fought over. And, And when we hold these things, they're serious to us. They're important to us. And sometimes these issues will turn us, we think the war is with each other. We, we turn on each other and we're battling each other. And that's why I say we hurt each other and we ruin the gospel. We send a wrong message to the church. And so Paul starts talking about this, dealing with some issues of the day. And he's going to break the church into two groups. Chapter 14, verse 1, the weak ones. You heard me read that. Also in reference here, but you don't hear him use the phrase until chapter 15, verse 1, the strong ones. So we have in our church, right here in this room right now, we have the weak and we have the strong. Which one do you want to be? That's kind of, oh, I don't want to be the weak. Actually, right here, folks, don't understand weak and strong as right and wrong. When he says the weak ones, he's not, these are the dumb ones. <laughs> these are the ones who don't know any better. These are the ones who, who really haven't developed. They're really immature in the faith. That's not what he's referring to here. So don't understand weak and strong as right and wrong. Maybe understand strong as those, and this is kind of going to be our key word and our theme uh, through these five messages. Understand the strong as those filled with grace. They're filled with grace. They're relating with grace. Understand weak. The word weak here actually means wobbly. Understand the weak as those who are wobbly. Now, as I understand weak ones here being applied to an issue... Folks, I think it's quite possible that somebody is strong in one area and weak in another. Everybody in this room could have a place, could have an issue in life where you're wobbly. But minus that one issue, you can in other places be quite strong. You say, well, what makes a person wobbly? Well, man, there's more things than I'm going to list this morning. There's There's a variety of things that can be going on there. One, I mentioned this earlier... You might be new to the faith. This might be somebody that is new to the Christian faith, new to the scriptures. They're they're learning. They're trying to understand. They just haven't gotten there yet. So they're a little wobbly on, on doctrine and on issues and how those doctrine and issues are to be played out in life. 
Somebody could be wobbly because maybe as they've come into the faith, maybe they've grown up under some bad teaching, some false teaching. And so they're learning and, and they realize that, that that might not quite be right, but man, it's just so ingrained. I, I mean, that's just the way I've thought. That's just what I've heard forever and ever and ever. And I, I'm just having a hard time adjusting and, 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 and throwing that off. Now, let me throw you a real curveball. Somebody could be wobbly because they're strong. And that doesn't make much sense, does it? Somebody could be wobbly because they're strong. Watch this. I'm going to make it even more confusing. They could be wobbly because they're strong in resisting sin. You say, okay, now you've lost me. Okay, you know what, folks? When we left the world and came to Christ, we all left sin, right? And, and, and for most of us, there's all kinds of sins. There's not one or two. There's all kinds of sins that we've sought to leave behind. But you know, some of us, maybe a lot of us, when we look back on our days in which we were lost, there's a particular sin that really, really defined us. A particular sin we really hurt over, ached over. And man, now that we've come into the faith, we hate that sin. We hate everything about that sin. And boy, we have built some strong walls in our life to fight that sin and to resist that sin and maybe doing a very good job at it. Man, we've become staunch. We have become dogmatic. Here's our problem. We expect everybody else to be as dogmatic as we are. We expect everybody else to have the same attitude that we have on maybe that situation or that issue. And that makes us wobbly in our message. It makes us wobbly in our relationship with others. Now, the two issues here in Romans 14, and in, and in Romans 14, Paul doesn't give us much insight into what he's talking about. We have a lot of insight because of other passages and because of New Testament history. He very simply says, some of you eat meat, some of you eat vegetables. It sounds like he's just talking about some kind of diet issue. But we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we know from, from New Testament history that the issue here in Rome is not just whether somebody eats meat or doesn't eat meat. This isn't a vegetarian argument. This is an argument about meat that has been sacrificed to idols. Because believers, many of the believers in the church of Rome would have come out of idol worship. You know, today they're in First Baptist Rome. Last week they were in a pagan temple. And, and they've been won to Christ and, and they're trying to leave that behind them. Well, in these, in these temples, and as a matter of fact, somewhat of this is true in the Jewish faith. Obviously they sacrificed animals and they sacrificed lots of animals. And a portion of that meat went to the sacrifice. A portion went to the, to the priest. Now in the Jewish faith, all the meat got used. But in this, in this pagan faith, in these pagan worships, they'd sacrifice this animal and, and, a, and a small part of the meat went to the temple priests there in that temple and the rest got sold. It was really a cool way of making a lot of money. I mean, the animal was brought for free. You know, I take about a tenth of the meat and then I take the rest of the meat out here and I sell it. And so folks, in Rome, what you really need to picture is here on one corner is this temple this temple to a false god. And right next door to it is Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. <laughs> and two doors down from that is the best meat market. I mean, you want to get some roast beef cut just right, they do it well at that meat market. And so that's what was happening. You would have these places of eating meat surrounding these temples because that's where the meat went after they used it in the temple. 
And so here we, you and I go, we go out on a faith visit. You know, uh, John over here visited our church. We go and knock on John's door. John, man, I saw you came to our church. Yeah, man, I'm looking for something new. I, man, I've been involved in this. And I'm starting to realize, man, that's a false God. That's a, that's a false temple. And that's not right. And we talk to John about the gospel of Jesus. John prays to receive Christ, comes to our church, gets baptized. John's grown in the Lord. We're having so much fun with John. And, and, and you know what? After church, they say, John, what is it a year ago? That we were in your house and, and, and you prayed to receive. Yeah, yeah, you know what? You're right. It was a year ago. Man, let's celebrate. Why don't we go out to lunch today? And, and, and so we get in my chariot and we, we leave church and we come up. And I take him to Ruth's Chris. This is a big anniversary, right? Besides, I'm going to have him pay at the end. But anyway, we... We come up to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse and John is, I mean, you just see the, the blood drain out of his face. I mean, his mouth falls open. What, what, what are we doing here? Well, we're going to eat lunch, man. I'm not, I'm not going in there. Well, it's, it's a restaurant, John. Let's, let's go eat, man. No, no. That, they're, they're serving meat that's been sacrificed to idols in there. Man, you go in there, that's demon worship. You, you go in there, that is wrong. And all of a sudden, John and I, man, we're... John hates me. You say, oh, John doesn't hate you over that. No, folks, think of those issues I just meant. Those issues I just mentioned. Man, churches divide over these issues. Churches stand for these. I'm not going in there and needing that. That's wrong. So what happens? And what Paul is going to do in Romans 14 is tell John and I how to handle each other. Did you notice in the passage I read, Paul didn't actually say who was right and who was wrong. Is it right to eat the meat or is it not right to eat the meat? Now, he doesn't answer it here. He does answer it in 1 Corinthians 8. Paul says, very quick argument, he says this. He says, now listen, this meat was sacrificed to a false god, right? Right. Okay, the operative word there is false. Since it wasn't a real god, then the impact on that meat is not real. So you absolutely can go into that restaurant and order a ribeye on the bone, medium rare, bow your head and say thank you Lord for the steak I'm about to partake and enjoy it look at it look at it this afternoon not right now this afternoon go over to 1 Corinthians 8 and watch that argument unfold so he he does address the rightness and wrongness of what we do with meat now having said that understand this there's not a command in the Bible or in the New Testament to eat meat there's not a command in the New Testament not to eat meat Paul's just addressing it's not wrong to eat it because it was sacrificed to an idol. Now back here in Romans 14, he doesn't address any of that. He just simply says, John, man, I understand what you came out of. As a matter of fact, we didn't even know this. Did you know John was the guy? You know, we got all kinds of ways to serve in our church, don't we? From the parking lot to the nursery to a want, all these different ways. Well, they had that in, in false temples too. And John was the guy who carried all the leftover meat over there to Ruth's Chris. I mean, this really touched home for him. And so God says, hey, John, man, I understand where you are. I appreciate your conviction. I appreciate where you are and what you're trying to do. You are in a good spot. Just don't judge Randy for not being there. And he says, Randy, man, it is absolutely, I gave you that gal for a reason, man. Medium rare every time. But don't judge John for where he is. John has a reason for where he is. There's a background there. There is a, a context there. So don't judge him. 
So you see, he doesn't, Paul, the referee, doesn't call one out of bounds. He tells us both to respect where each other are. He does the same thing here when he starts verse 5. One person esteems one day as another. But, but man, talk about the blending of a perfect storm. Remember, we're a diverse group. We're coming from all different kinds of backgrounds. So here we are in the church of Rome. Half the church has come out of idol worship. And in that idol worship, man, folks, if you know much about Greek and Roman mythology and gods, man, they had every day was dedicated. Days were named after gods. And they used the, the arrival of a day to worship and to serve that false god, usually represented with drunkenness and revelry and sexual immorality. And so if I've come out of that, then my mindset is, man, we're celebrating days. That's that's everything that's wrong. That's everything that's unholy. But then the other half of the church has come to Christ out of Judaism. And man, if you know much about the Old Testament, the Jewish faith was very defined, moving from one celebration to another. As a matter of fact, next weekend is Rosh Hashanah. Go home if you've got a calendar, it lists everything. It's probably got Rosh Hashanah on it. A couple days after that, we'll have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. We got Passover. I mean, all kinds of things in the Jewish faith. You, you were led to that worship by certain days. And so for one group of people, the celebration of days reminded them of everything that was unholy in their life. And for another group, it reminded them of everything that was holy in life. What do they do? Paul says, hey, let each one serve the Lord. Let each one serve the Lord as he best determines. Just don't judge each other in it. Don't judge each other. Now, folks, we're not talking about being loosey-goosey. We each have to come to the Scriptures and decide where we are. And I love verse 5. He says, let each one be convinced. Be convinced of what you believe. Be convinced of what Scripture says. Be convinced of what your weaknesses are. Be convinced of your past failures and the kinds of walls you need to put up in life, the way you need to defend against those things in your life. Be convinced and then take a stand. In other words, have a biblical reason for what you do. Have a biblical reason for why you do something or why you don't do something. So folks, you go back to that, that issue. Man, education is a sensitive issue. Anything related to parenting is sensitive. Anything related. Big reason it's so sensitive, most of us are never fully confident of what we're doing as parents. I mean, it, it make us feel guilty. But as parents, we have convictions, we make decisions. Well, when we see our convictions and decisions look different from somebody else's, it kind of makes us tense. And then if that person actually attacks us over that or makes us, you see how that brings to the, to the battle? But yet, folks, I could make a case where I could come over here and say, you know, we looked a couple of weeks ago at Romans 12 too. It says, do not be conformed to the world. Folks, you've got to acknowledge that one of the primary ways people are being formed in this world is through education. I, I can't imagine any teacher in here not saying, man, you look at what's going on in school today, there's a whole lot more than reading, writing, and arithmetic. There's a lot of value forming, a lot of moral forming that goes on in there. So obviously a parent from Scripture can come to the place where they say, you know what, I can't put my kid in that. I can't, I can't yield their mind and their heart over to that. You know what, we're going to homeschool, we're going to private school. Man, that's what they've studied in Scripture. That's what they've decided as a mom and dad. There is good biblical reason to do that. But you know what? Somebody else also seeking to interact with Scripture, seeking to be formed and directed by Scripture could say, you know, I look at somebody like a Daniel. 
and the impact he had on that Old Testament world. And he did that having been educated and trained in a godless pagan world system. He threw up boundaries. Man, look at Daniel chapter 1. In the midst of that system, Daniel had to put some places where I can go this far and no more. You know, he had to put up some standards. But he was educated in the midst of that. I go to Jesus' words, you've got to be salt and light. How can we be salt and light if we're running from community? How can we be salt and light? How can we be impacting community if we're leaving the community? And so another set of parents can say, man, you know what? This is where we live. This is, this is what we do. We need to engage our society where society is. And absolutely guided by Scripture, they make the decision to stay involved with schools. Got to be careful when you do that, but have biblical reason. So we have biblical reasons for what we do and what we don't do. And you say, well, they've come to two completely different conclusions. Gosh, I didn't realize we can do that with the Bible. You mean we can all just read the Bible and come up with our own ideas? We can all just make Scripture mean what we want it to mean? No, that's not what we said at all. Understand, we're not talking about things that Scripture has directly told us to do or not to do. We're using biblical principles to guide the decisions that we make. And that's why he says in verse 5, let each one be convinced. But realize that as you are convinced, what's it say there in verse 4? You're not over somebody else. As a matter of fact, verse 4 is such a definitive statement. I almost think Romans 14 could be one verse. Why, why say anything after that? Paul says, hey, listen, let me, let me wrap up. As y'all are baiting issues and fighting over the way I see this and the way I see that, here's the bottom line. You're not God and they don't stand before you. Period. End of discussion. You're not God and they don't stand before you. Period. End of discussion. And then he closes with verse 12 and says, and by the way, why would you be worrying about what they're doing? You've got to stand before God and answer for yourself. That's plenty to say grace over, isn't it? I ought to be absolutely busy 24-7 thinking about my decisions and how I'm going to stand before God and answer them without getting involved in your decisions and how you're going to stand before God with that. You don't belong to me. I don't belong to you. We belong to God. And what we do, biblically yes, biblically no, we do it unto Him and we will answer to Him for what we did. So folks, we are to absolutely study Scripture Seek the Holy Spirit on its application. Come up with convictions of what we believe and how we're going to live out that Scripture. But they're our convictions. They're God's convictions for me, not my convictions for you. Does that make sense? Now, here again, well, are we saying that, boy, everybody can just make the Bible mean what they want it to mean to themselves? No, and here's where we start to understand the difference between a biblical reason and a biblical command. Let me give you another Another illustration on, on, the, on the train where we've been, okay? Let's take dating, okay? There's a great book out there, long, written a long time ago, probably 10, 15 plus years ago. I imagine some of you are familiar with it. Joshua Harris wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Joshua Harris looked at the American model of courtship, the American model of dating, and he uses some statistics and he uses some things we all know that are going on there and says, hey, listen, the American model of dating is an utter failure. It absolutely does not prepare people for marriage, and it is absolutely the highest promoter of sexual immorality that there is. Builds an incredible case for this. And so he comes to this using Scripture. God's got a command on our lives for purity. And he says, man, we can't be involved in that way of finding a mate. 
We can't be involved in that way of, of coming to, to marriage. And if you read his book, he makes some good arguments. There would be a very good biblical reason to come to a place and say, you know what, I'm not going to follow the American model of dating. Having said that, there's not a command in Scripture that says, thou shalt date. There's not a command that says, thou shalt not date. Okay, so I'm, I'm using all these things. I'm trying to come up with a decision. But, now here's where I start to explain the difference. If your friend in that dating relationship, you know they're sexually involved, then you have all the authority in the world to get slapped in the middle of their face and say, you are sinning. And God will not bless that relationship. You see, the ungodly and sinners, they love to use Romans chapter 4. Don't judge me. You can't say I'm doing wrong. No, on my ideas and opinions and applications, I can't. But folks, where God speaks, we can speak. Because purity is not a biblical reason. Purity is a biblical command. You understand the difference? Okay, how I apply Scripture, my idea. But things like thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not be sexually immoral, that's God's idea and where he has spoken, we are absolutely believer to believer. It's a whole other thing when it's believer to unbeliever. But believer to believer, we are absolutely to judge each other. We are absolutely to get right in each other's face and say that's sin and that's wrong. And even doing that, Jesus says, be careful though, because <laughs> you're a mess yourself. Remember what he said, before you start picking out the speck in somebody else's life, watch out for the what in your own. And we're supposed to speak, boy, Galatians chapter 6. You see a friend in sin, go and speak to that friend. But boy, you go careful and you go humble and you go praying because you ain't no better roses yourself. But where we're talking about things where God has specifically spoken, we are absolutely to speak into each other's life. But we're not to judge each other with our convictions. Man, folks, you know, I, you know, I think of those statements I made earlier. I know whole churches that have been built on those statements. I imagine some of you do. You know, churches have a personality. Don't they? You go to that church, you can't do this. Boy, if you go to that church, you have to do this. You have to be a part of that. And that sends a confusing message to the world of what the church is about. Our mandate is to carry the gospel. Our mandate has nothing to do with education. Our mandate is the gospel. Our mandate is not movies. Our mandate is the gospel. So we have to be clear about that. And we just do a horrible job in judging, don't we? Oh, don't say, mm-hmm. That's whoever said that back there. <laughs> we all think we're good judgers. We all think that's our spiritual gift. You know, I, lo I love, uh, I didn't mean to pick on you, whoever said, mm-mm. <laughs> It wasn't very nice of me. I don't know who said it, but I guess y'all all do know. Did you hear what she said? Um, I love Chuck Swindoll. He gives us four ideas why you and I are so bad at judging and why we just need to stay out of that business altogether. Look at this. Number one, we're not omniscient, so we do not have all the facts. Do you know what? We will all look at that and say, well, absolutely, that. well, that's a good point. Do you know what? You have never in your life, that's a big word, isn't it? Never, I'm going to say it anyway. You have never in your life acted like you didn't have all the facts. You always, when you're looking at somebody, when you're judging somebody, when you're lying and gossiping about that somebody, when you're making value judgments about that somebody, you are going to do it as if you know everything there is to know about that person and your thoughts and your words are the gospel. We do act like that. Do you know that you have never had all the facts? 
You don't know why that person is such a jerk about that. You don't understand that there's a lot of hurt and a lot of failure that led up to them being a jerk on that issue. I'm not saying that makes them right, but it makes your judgment wrong. We're never working with all the facts. And since we're not, get out of the judgment business. Number two there, we're not objective, so our judgment is tainted by self-interest. You know when we're judging each other, we got such a high holy attitude about it, don't we? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying this because it's right. I'm, I'm just saying this because you're wrong. Folks, you know, most of the time we're judging each other. There's a variety of things going on there. One, most of us are pretty insecure in our own skin. We're, we're insecure with our ideas. We're insecure with our own convictions. And so the way I feel better about my convictions is I got to go out there and rally a bunch of people to have the same convictions I do. And the more people that have the same convictions I do, the better I feel about myself. And when I see somebody that has a different conviction than me, I got to beat them down because uh, that, that threatens my conviction unless, unless I get them you know, beaten down or else to change. Reality is when we're looking down on each other, most of the time it's self-centeredness that's doing that. It's, it's not holiness most of the time, folks. I mean, I, when I do it, I always think I'm holy. You need to switch that around. Randy, there's a pretty good chance that as you're looking down, the person has nothing to do with how holy you are. It has a lot to do with how self-centered you are how you're trying to shape everything around your world and the way you want it. Number three, we're not perfect, so our judgment's hypocritical. We've already addressed that a little bit. I mean, folks, if it's a sin written in Scripture, we gotta go to them, but realize, you're not perfect. Don't ever speak to somebody standing on a platform of just how right and good and perfect you are and how bad you are. We're not. And then lastly, we're not God, so our judgment has no jurisdiction. You know what that means? You have no authority in that place. You know, a Chesterfield County police officer may know the law, may understand the law, may know how to, how to execute the law, but they can't pull somebody over for a ticket in North Carolina, can they? They can't do it. They're out of their jurisdiction. Folks, when you and I are judging others, we're out of our jurisdiction. We have no right to do it. it it's not an issue of whether you're right or wrong. It's not an issue of how much you understand. It doesn't even matter if you're operating from a pretty solid platform. It's not your jurisdiction. They don't belong to you and you're not God. God, on the other hand, surprisingly enough, is perfect, does have all information, is always operating from what is good for you, and he is God, right? So we leave the judging business to him. You know... I had a, I had, in one sermon, I had two statements I really impressed myself with. I was really living large this week. But as I was thinking about Romans 14 and, and, and what God was, was trying to get through to me here. Because folks, we're all, we're all judging one another. As a matter of fact, some of us say, well, I don't say it out loud. You know, I'm pretty sure that based on Romans 4, you don't get to say it quietly either. And we all do it. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a deadly attitude, folks, because in that mm-hmm, you're still making yourself in the place of God, aren't you? Do you know, as a child of God, do you know what I've received? I have received the grace of God. Do you know, as a child of God, do you know what I have not received? I've not received His judgment. 
So watch this, folks. This is my big idea. I'm really, that's cool, Randy. Since I've received grace, grace is what I should give out. Since I am not being judged, I shouldn't be judging. You know, I typed that sentence on my computer and I sat back and I said, wow. Who in the world do I think I am? That I judge people's character and motivation. And I assume their motives. Who am I to think that I can look down on people or even worse? And everybody in here has done it. If you look down on somebody, you go try to get somebody else to look down on them too. Who am I to think I can bring the judgment of God on somebody when God in His grace has not brought that judgment on me? I've received His mercy. That's what I should share. I have not received His wrath. So that isn't what I should be sharing. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am sorry, and I believe I can say we are sorry, that we are so insecure with ourselves. And in that insecurity, we, we beat each other up. Beat each other up in the house of God. Beat each other up in the, in the church. Lord, there are church division after church division after church division is not being broken up over commands of God. They're being broken up over opinions. Churches are fighting churches over opinions. Believers fighting believers over opinions. I can't imagine what it's like, God, for you to look down here on the earth and to watch us treat each other this way when you have given all this grace and withheld your judgment and all we're giving out to each other is judgment. Lord, I don't think we have a bad problem of that in our church. I, I hope I'm not being naive. I believe it's okay for me to say, God, I thank you. That doesn't seem to be a, a vein running through our church, but God, may it never happen. Lord, as we've been encouraged in this book, may we study your word and know what your word says. And from that word, may we have biblical reasons why we do and why we don't do everything in our life. I pray there's absolutely nothing in our life from movies to education to holidays to God, everything we do, I pray we're seeking to be guided by your scripture. But God, would you also give us wisdom and discernment to understand the difference between our biblical reasons and biblical commands. May we not judge each other over biblical reasons and ideas. God, may we be a church that is faithfully carrying the mandate of your grace into this world. We need your help for this, God. It's not our nature. Our nature is to be mean. Would you fill us with your grace? Help us to share that grace as we move closer and closer together, as our, as our elbows start to bump. May grace be our response. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.